So I'm really glad you're here today because we kick off this new series called Who Are My People? I am really excited about this series primarily because it contains uh, really a pretty radical message, a pretty radical concept that will get us thinking about what constitutes our deepest and most meaningful relationships in life. And I, and I want us to do that because that sort of radical conception that we're going to talk about today from Jesus it will, I hope, serve to reorient our thinking about our relational priorities. So I want us to jump in by just asking this question generically uh, before we jump in. Who are your people? I want you to think for just a moment about who you would call your people. These are obviously people with whom you closely identify, uh, the people with whom you would say you have the deepest and most meaningful connections in life. These might be people with whom you're most at home, you're most yourself. Uh, maybe they're the people with whom you feel the least like worried at, at putting on airs and impressing them. They might be people who you know will love and accept you no matter what. Uh, they might be those You'd first call in an emergency. Uh, maybe it's those with whom you share a job or you have certain experiences. You went to school together. You grew up on the same street. Maybe even you share the same DNA. <laughs> and these are the kinds of people in life who, um, you know, totally get you, okay? So, so you got some of those people in mind? Got them in mind? Okay. Now, next question. <laughs> A deeper and ultimately a more important question. Do you know why they are your people? Have you given sustained thought? <laughs> Don't answer this out loud because most of us will be like, hmm, not really. Um, have you given sustained thought to why you would consider them your people? <laughs> well, we both like the new Avengers movies. Okay. That's one reason why you might consider someone as part of your people, um, but we're here to go a little deeper than that. And, and I, I'm just here, here to tell you up front, <laughs> we'll talk about this later too, but I want to let you know up front, I know exactly who my people are, and I know exactly why they are my people. Uh, this is something that, at least for me in life, um, in, this, in this circumstance of being called to the pastoral ministry, that I think about and I pray about and I consider uh, pretty regularly as I'm getting ready for messages and, and thinking about uh, how, how I feel like God wants me to, to preach the word to, to my, my people. So I know exactly who my people are, and I know exactly why they are my people. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I just had this sense of uh, feeling blessed that I had this awareness of, uh, of thinking, you know what? I got lots of my people. I got lots of people I'd consider my people. And I know exactly why they're people who I would call my people. In fact, I have to list some of them as emergency contacts at the, at the elementary school. Or <laughs> A number of you may not be aware, but you're allowed to pick up my kids. Um, <laughs> so. so welcome to being part of my people. <laughs> uh, in this series, uh, we're going to help you answer this question for yourself. Who are my people? And we're going to begin that today just by looking real simply at Jesus' answer to the same question. In fact, he asks the question, and then he answers it. And I think that you're going to find from, from Jesus' answer, as we'll look today, that, 
that he pretty radically defines his people as, as people that are part of God's family. And this is a family in the kingdom of God. God's family is a family in the kingdom of God where he is father. And what defines the deepest and the most meaningful and the most important connection in life is something that Jesus teaches here today. It goes way beyond the normal things we count as shared job experiences, DNA, that go into what we would call our people or Avengers movies and things like that. So before we jump into Mark 3, let's go ahead and set the context a bit, uh, set some context for the answer to this question by letting you uh, be aware of some of what was going on before Mark 3. Uh, in the New Testament Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, second one of the four in the New Testament, Jesus had been publicly teaching and doing some miracles uh, out among the people for not very long, really. It had been a pretty short amount of time, but he very quickly gains this very large following in Mark. And, and so people from all over the region were beginning to come and to follow him, and they were actually pressing in to hear him teach, to watch him perform these miracles. And things around Jesus were getting so busy and so crazy, and the entire region was kind of abuzz with his ministry um, that, that things got a little hairy and uh, confrontational. Not everybody was excited uh, about Jesus gaining notoriety. Uh, the religious leaders, in fact, around him, the religious leaders from Jesus' own people were beginning to take notice, and they were getting a little antsy uh, because Jesus was messing with their mojo, kind of threatening their power a little bit. And then in Mark 3, to top it all off, the confrontation became a little personal. Look at this. Jesus' own family, Mark 3, 20, is where we'll start. Jesus' own family is less than excited about the following that he's beginning to have here. Just look at what happens when Jesus goes home. Look at this, verse 20, Mark 3. It says, then when he went home, or I'm sorry, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again. It had been gathering at various times before that. The crowd gathered again, and then it says this, so that they could not even eat. Look at what's going on here in verse 20. Jesus goes home, and things blow up around him. They get crazy with doing ministry, gathering crowds around him, so crazy that he and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. Which, I don't know if you've ever had this circumstance before, but it's like when you've got three different kids who have to go to three different places at different times, and you're the only driver, and you can't leave the six-year-old by herself, so you just go forego, you just forego food because, duh, she's got to learn to swim and to dance and to play piano and all those various things, and most definitely she has to learn to play the most beautiful game in the world, soccer. So what you end up doing late at night is grabbing half a bag of tortilla chips off the top of the fridge on the way to bed. You know, like you do. <laughs> so, so Jesus' ministry there was sort of getting in the way of the normal, everyday stuff of life, getting in the way of eating. But notice here <laughs> that instead of mom showing up with PBJ, PB&J in a juice box, look at what happens here. Look at verse 21. When his family heard it, Meaning when they heard that Jesus was teaching and healing and he was back in town and he was beginning to skip meals because of it, look at this, they went out to seize him. I mean, they are for real here. This word that's used for seize here was often used uh, to talk about forcibly arresting or apprehending someone. So his family sees what's going on, all this popularity here, and, and they're like, you're coming with us, miracle boy. And so, so when his family heard it, 
They went out to seize him, for they were saying, the family, not the crowd, look at this, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. So essentially, what it means is that Jesus' family marches up all huffy, and mom grabs him by the arm and says, boy, what is wrong with you? Are you out of your ever-living mind? You've got to eat. Which frankly basically means that Mary was your average southern mom. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Seriously, y'all, something visceral happens if the kids are hungry. So, anyway. Mama Bear Mary uh, has sprung into action. Uh, so at this point, it's clear that uh, Jesus' own family thinks this is a little bit crazy. And uh, so do his own people. The Jewish religious leaders who are also watching what's going on, uh, they also come from Jerusalem to track him down to make sure to keep tabs on what's going on. And, and, and think about this. These are people who knew the history. They knew the Old Testament. They knew that God was going to send a Messiah. They, they, they should have known that miracles are going to accompany that kind of thing if it's from God, right? Like they should have known. But look at what happens next. Verse 22, they accuse him of being evil. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem to check him out and to keep tabs on him, the scribes were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, meaning like by the devil. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So Jesus' own family and his own people are freaking out and are pretty angry at Jesus. Now, the point that Mark is making here in the flow of the larger uh, gospel context up to this point for him is, is think about this. Everybody other than the crowds who are with him, close, pressing in, and the disciples in their better moments, everybody who should have known better is against him. Jesus' own family and his own people, the people of his own religious tradition, were not on the same mission that he was. I mean, look at this. Notice what happens next. Jump down to verse 31 here. His mother and his brothers came. This was again, they came again, standing outside, meaning there was a house where Jesus was teaching and the crowds had, had gotten inside and, and they were standing outside. His mother and his brothers came once again and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. We'll come back to that in a moment. And a crowd was sitting around him inside the house, listening to him teach. And they said to him, um, excuse me, Jesus, uh, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, what I want you to see here in verses 31 and 32 is that Mark is very intentionally setting the scene here so that we would read it, so that we would see it as a pretty major confrontation. Notice that Jesus' own family members are standing outside this house where Jesus is teaching on the inside, and they're the ones calling for him to come out to them. Now, at first, this just may seem like first reading like the, the practical consequences of the moment, right? Like, he's crowded. We'll just let him do his thing inside. Jesus, could you please come? No, that's, that's not really what's going on here. Mark is wanting us to see something here. Now, think about this. Houses are small, <laughs> and they hold families, a few people. And that's partly to keep out the rest of the world, out there, the crowds. 
But the situation here in this scene that Mark sets up is exactly the reverse here. And the crowds are actually on the inside with Jesus. The family is on the outside looking in. We actually know Mark is emphasizing this because he's repeating some key words and phrases here. He's saying they are sending for him and calling for him and seeking him. In all of the first three chapters of Mark up to this point, Jesus is the one who does the calling to others. He's the one who's asking them to join in mission. Except here, it's the family that's sending for and calling for him to come. Not only that, but of the 10 times in the Gospel of Mark where he says someone is seeking for Jesus or, or looking for Jesus with this word that he uses here, at the end of verse 32, of the 10 times, every time he is describing someone's attempt actually to gain control over Jesus. So Mark wants to make clear here that Jesus' family have had enough. They're standing there outside the house, arms crossed, toes tapping, demanding that he bow to their family pressures because Jesus, we're the ones who raised you. We know the drill here. You ain't nothing special. Come home. And that wouldn't have been weird for them to expect. In an ancient Near Eastern culture where, where family obligation and honor, it meant everything. But apparently it didn't mean everything. Apparently it didn't mean everything, according to Jesus. Because look at his response, verse 33. He answered them, meaning the people in the crowd who said, hey, your parents and your parent, sorry, your uh, mother and sisters and brothers are outside. He answered them, who are my mothers and my brothers? Meaning, who are my people? <laughs> looking about at those who sat around him, think about this, looking about at those in the crowd who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers, here are my mother and my brothers. Parenthetically, think about this. Think about the amazing significance of a moment that for someone in that crowd, someone in that house who was listening and watching closely with a soft heart, hoping, hoping from a place of personal desperation that the promise of salvation from sin that this guy was offering was absolutely real. And he looks at them and he goes, you get to be a part of my family. What an amazing moment that would have been for someone with a soft heart of repentance to hear from Jesus. You get to be a part of my family. And then to make the point even clearer, he radically redefines family in the kingdom of God in the very next verse. Look at this, verse 35. He says this, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now think about the gravity of what Jesus is saying here. <laughs> On the heels of his own family and his own people rejecting his mission while they're standing outside and accusing him of evil. He looks around at the crowds packed at this inside this house and he makes crystal clear that in this new kingdom that he had come to establish where God is making for himself a family where he is the father, it is those who do God's will that are a part of this new kingdom. It is whoever does the will of God that is my family. People who do the will of my Father, they're my people, Jesus says. Now, Mark doesn't tell us 
about how Jesus' family responded um, in that moment. But I, I can imagine <laughs> Mary is standing there. Uh, they're your family? I'll tell, exactly, I'll tell you exactly who your family is, <laughs> miracle boy. It's the ones who fed you. It's the ones who cared for you, who changed your diapers, who bandaged your wounds, who paid for all that, and who took a part-time job to make sure that you could make it through carpentry school. Those are the ones to whom you need to be paying homage, Mr. Know-it-all. <laughs> if that kind of sort of visceral blood is everything response is something akin to what, what you might be feeling right now as you listen to Jesus sort of radically redefine family, then don't worry. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say here, notice, he doesn't say blood family and those who do, who do God's will. He doesn't say they're mutually exclusive. And he certainly isn't standing there saying, stay away from those who do not do God's will. He's just saying, in this new kingdom where God is Father and he's building for himself a family, those who do his will, they are my people. He is just, he's just simply saying in a pretty definitively and, and clear way, at a level far deeper and far more important than DNA and then how the world has taught us to define family. He is saying that those who are part of God's true and forever family, where he is the father, those are the ones who do God's will. They are my people, Jesus says. My people are God the Father's people. People who have first in mind and first in the intent of heart God the Father's purposes. Said, said simply, according to Jesus here, God's people are those who just plain do what God wants. They just have a heart to do what God the Father wants them to do. So I think what this means is that we have to learn to find God-purposed people. God-purposed people who will help us more meaningfully follow Jesus and more deeply participate in what he's doing in the world. We have to learn to lean into the relationships with people who will bring us closer to Jesus and who will provide us with wisdom that comes from his heart and from his word. And we've all made the mistake, we've all made the mistake many times over of giving ourselves uh, too much to relationships that give us a temporary pleasure or a worldly gain uh, or something that we thought we wanted but that ended up being just our own attempts to fill voids we can't fill. So I just want to ask a few questions as diagnostics for you here today. Ask yourself, um, ask yourself this. Are the people that I call my people, are the people that I call my people, are they Jesus people? And, and, and to what extent are the people that I call my people, to what extent are they consistently taking me toward or away from Jesus? Are my relationships that I have, 
Are they about doing the will of God, or are they ultimately about doing something else? And also, the other direction. Am I being, am I being a God-purposed person who is helping those around me become more like Jesus? Or am I being a me-purposed person for whom the relationships around me are just functional, manipulative tools for me to fill up, to grab for self? And also, parenthetically, <laughs> if you're new here today, or maybe you're new here in town, uh, maybe you're not yet serving on a team, maybe you're not connected in a small group like Regen or Life Group, and you may be sitting there today feeling like, like I don't, even, ha- I don't have, even have people I would call my people. <laughs> uh, if that's you, we're super glad you're here today because turns out craziest thing, we have environments specifically designed <laughs> to help you find deep and meaningful and ultimately God-purposed connections that can bring you closer to Jesus. You might say they are about helping you find and follow Jesus. So I told you at the beginning um, that I would tell you about my people. Um, And I'm excited about this part because I know exactly who my people are and I know exactly why they are my people. Uh, And they're amazing people. Uh, For me, my people are my family and my coworkers. And by coworkers, I want to be clear in saying, I mean all the paid and unpaid staff and leaders and volunteers, not just here at First Christian Church, but throughout the entire world. People who get that this whole thing is about the goodness and glory of God. People who understand deep in their bones why they were created, and why we're gathered here today, and why this is worth doing so that we can worship the creator of the universe. These are people around me who flat out get it. They understand at their core that there is an essential, that there is a deeper, that there is a more meaningful purpose of extending God's goodness and glory than, it, than, than getting from grabbing for self. My people are people who understand there's much bigger purpose and reason we're here. That is not about you, and it's not about me. These are people who I'll be out in the uh, community somewhere, uh, and I'll see someone, uh, my people, and I'll see them outside of Sunday mornings, uh, perhaps at the store or around town or at the coffee shop. Um, and these are people that I know without even saying a word. I know Their agenda for the day is God's mission. I know that they're prayerfully seeking God's direction, and I have a sense that they're working alongside me in the trenches of everyday life. We define this uh, pretty specifically with what we call um, our team code, uh, and it's how we think about serving on the team together here at First Christian Church. Uh, So for me, uh, the best way to to, to sort of typify how I feel about my people is uh, FCC team code maxim number one. Um, It's just this. We enjoy the fellowship of mutual surrender to the mission. You see, this is what we mean by people here who get it. People here who are my people 
who are your people, who get it, are absolutely filled with God's purposes. And they are joined, they are bound by an eternal, a deeper, and a more meaningful connection and purpose that goes forever beyond this life. (laughs) So who are my people? I know who my people are. I know exactly why they're my people. So who are your people? And are they as amazing as my people? I hope so. Because then that means that you are my people too. And if you're sitting there feeling like, I don't feel like I have people, guess what? I've got people that could be your people. That's why we're here, people. <laughs> Let's close and pray prayer together. Father in heaven, it is our privilege to be here, to worship you, to be humbled under the amazing truth that you are good in ways we couldn't possibly fathom. that you are so good that you accounted for our rebellious, sinful nature, which resulted in a whole bunch of ways that we pervert this world to be about us. When ultimately, Lord, this whole thing is about you and making known your goodness and glory. And so in a new way today, in a fresh way, we want to recommit ourselves in the quiet of this moment to your vision for our lives. Uh, that your goodness and glory would be on full display in us. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the encouragement and the witness of those who have gone before, of those who are around us, that we would call our people who understand that without your son Jesus living a perfect and sinless life for us, we would all be without hope. And so, Father, we praise you for being good to us for being more than enough in the person of Jesus so that his perfect, righteous, and sinless life counted for ours. And that he sacrificed himself and was raised to new life so that we could know through your spirit in us what it means to live for the sake of your goodness and glory, having that new life in us. Father, continue to give us a vision uh, for, for giving into the kinds of relationships uh, that will make us more like your son Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would show us the ways in which uh, we can uh, be for others God-purposed people. Lord, we pray a a bold prayer here at First Christian Church uh, that you would put together your people all across this county in ways that others see as the evidence of you working in the world and bringing people to yourself through Jesus. So the people would look at this body of believers and say, I want to be a part of those people. Thank you, Lord. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.